Bonsoir, and welcome back to the Misdirected Podcast, uh, episode seven. I hate it. I love it. It's quirky. Bonsoir, Roman, our special guest of the episode, you, Roman Guestafero. Well, you would, you would, bonsoir would be like, goodbye. Well, Is it? good evening. You told me it was good evening. I'm trusting you. You're an Italian. Yeah, but I don't remember. All right. Well, don't, don't trust. Let's me. roll with it. This is our special right, guest of the episode, over. Roman Guestafero. We're it's not our, starting. Over. We're okay. going. It's live. Okay. We're live. We're live. This Hi, is... everyone. Yeah. Glad to be here on the Misdirected Podcast. I'm Roman Guestafero, lifelong lover of film, theater, the arts, and a good friend of Dakota and Skyler here. Yes. And we're going to talk a little quatic. Yeah. A good friend of the Misdirected Podcast. Uh, Skyler, you want to say hello? Hi. Always the same. I got to love it. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, review. A week later, unsubscribe, subscribe again. Let's boost those numbers. We need to get you on this podcast Can more you, because yeah, we forget to do man. that. You're a hype man. Um, well, you know, I wanted to, I want to start off first by asking, uh, Roman and Skyler, would you guys like to be part of the, uh, the Zisu Society, the no. little club? You don't want to. Why not? That it, if I join that club, it is you're asking for a world of trouble. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's fun. You know, I don't love animals. Yeah, well, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I it's it's me. really just dogs for me. I'm not an animal guy, <laughs> and the water is like you know, if your socks get wet, it's like yeah, uncomfortable all day. Also, I could say I have a lifelong fear of seahorses. Like I genuinely have seahorse phobia. They are unnatural, scary. Did you like the one in the movie, the little the uh, crayon one, stop motion one? Yeah, that one looked okay, but. It was yeah. cute, but just regular seahorses freak me out, so I couldn't do it. Wow. Just yeah, uh, I would unequivocally just sign up immediately because that's my jam. You guys suck. Um, <laughs> no, but that's fine. That's, I 100% get it. Um, so let's just uh, let's talk a little Life bit. Life Aquatic with Steve yeah, Zizou. Life Aquatic. Uh, Directed we, by Wes Anderson. <laughs> Wes Anderson. Why don't we get into him a little bit for a minute? Uh, sure. You don't mind. Well, Wes Anderson was uh, of the indie film age in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Came up same year. As uh, Paul Thomas Anderson oh, that makes and sense. Noah Baumbach, who co-wrote this film with right. him, uh, he's made I want to say nine feature films as of now. Uh, working on his tenth film in France right now, uh, a musical. Really? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'd a say musical Wes yeah. Anderson with musical? Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it should be. It'll good. be. I, it'll be know, neat. I, it makes sense for him to to do one. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Why sorry. Not? Go ahead. No, 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 no it's all yeah, good. It's uh, all good. But Wes Anderson's known for his very um, – would eclectic be the word? Eclectic and quirky, eclectic I think, style. are good descriptive words. Uh, possibly one of the most – as soon as you see one frame, you know who it is oh, kind yeah. of filmmakers. I mean, mm-hmm. he's very he's known for his very symmetrical his color framing, palette. a lot of pastels, mm-hmm. um, also a lot of broken characters and yeah. weird lines of dialogue <laughs> that are pretty funny. Pretty I, uh, I like pretty it. well known. He's been nominated for seven Oscars. Nominated this year for Isle of Dogs mm-hmm. animated Which is film. A good movie. If you haven't seen it, check Actually it out. A good film. Have you seen it, Roman? We saw it in theaters. That's right, together. we did. Oh yeah, because you like dogs, and you were like, I could see this movie. Anyone, That's right. Yeah, anyone. Like That's right. And so uh, Wes Anderson, after three solid films, uh, Bottle Rockets, his first, Rushmore, and then the, um, what is it, The Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. which won him a Oscar nomination. Uh, he set out to make The Life Aquatic. Yeah. Royal Tenenbaums was, a re- I thought, a really good movie when it came out. Like, they played it on Comedy Central all the time when mm-hmm. I was younger. And so I, like, I was most familiar with it. And that was when he, like, R- Rushmore and, uh, what was the other one before? Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. Those are, he came out with those. But Royal Tenenbaums was when he first kind of honed his style of mm-hmm. big ensemble cast of quirky characters. Mm-hmm. And kind of pretty much every movie since then has followed that kind of formula. Which, when it first came out with Royal Tenenbaums, was brand new and like awesome. And then I don't know if it <laughs> stayed as awesome. If he did, he's done it every time since. We, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. that. Yeah, we'll yeah. Get back yeah. To that. he's he's one of those um, directors who sticks with a troop of actors, kind of like Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. does. Well, Bill Murray has been in every single one of his films since Rushmore, which is wow. crazy. That's and this good. is the surprise. Interestingly, the only one that he was the leading person. He was excellent. He was, yeah. He Are we going to get really to performances? We, we will get to performances. Definitely start there. can, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I think let's now just, would be a good time to yeah, get into the film. Yeah, let's I mean, get into it. One more thing to mention is yeah. uh, the budget was $50 million on mm-hmm. the production. They went over budget and over schedule, and the film only grossed about 34. 34 yeah, total. 24, yeah. 34 total. Domestic. So, box office failure. Opening um, weekend, a hundred. I think it was like $100,000. Oh, a little over $100,000. Um, 
uh, Meta, not Meta, Metacritic, 62, and on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 56%. Mm-hmm. Very mixed, but in recent years, go, gained a cult following as being hailed as one of his best. Yeah. And it's one of those films where it's either on your, the top of your Wes Anderson list or on the bottom of your Wes Anderson list for most people. Everyone has their one. Yeah. For me, I like Royal Tenenbaums. Everyone's like, oh, I don't, and people, oh, I like Moonrise Kingdom. Everyone, like, even if you're not a Wes Anderson lover, everyone has one that they can say is their favorite. Right. 100%. Yeah, um, I think. So let's just kind of dive into it. Uh, yeah. I think... Well, could, could also, you, you should yeah. say how this episode's going to be a little different. Yeah, this episode, uh, thank you for reminding me, we're going to try a little different format. Usually we kind of analytically go through it's the movie and the plot. Yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be a good one. Um, no, we're just kind of free-forming. We're going to have fun. We're not so much focusing on the plot and what's going on in the movie so much as, you know... The movie itself as a whole and just talking about it together and like formulating our opinions on debating a bit. Yeah, debating. It's fun. Freeform. Yeah, freeform. The channel used can to I, be ABC Family. Can I kick off with something that I kind of just want to like? Yes. So the this movie, when I was surprised that you guys chose it because in my mind, this was a really popular, well-loved movie. But and then looking back at it, seeing that it was kind of was a money flop mm-hmm. and was critically mixed, I was like surprised because in my memory when this came out, like it really was such a cultural phenomenon with a certain set of people my age. Like, it was really when hipsters first started taking off. People started wearing tighter pants. The (laughs) beanie, now, the beanie not covering the ears. I hate that. Not only is it impractical, but, like, (laughs) I don't know why that... that, Seriously, hipsters ripped that from the movie and made it a thing. It's like they're almost falling off their Mm -hmm. heads. Yeah, I was maybe 13, 14 when this was... It came out late 04, 05, so, you know, it it was still popular for a couple years afterwards. So... A certain subset of kids. I know I'm going on a big bit no, of a bit of a rant please, tangent please. here, but it's coming back around. More upper middle class kids that were inclined to be towards hipsters, thick rimmed glasses, the beanies. Like I said, it was very much a cultural and aesthetic thing, along with Wes Anderson's whole style. Be like, oh, that's quirky and artsy and interesting, and I'm desperately trying to be interesting and. Uh, that's what I associated always with Wes Anderson and with this film particularly because of that specific time in my life. So it was really interesting for me to now, as an adult, finally see this movie again. Right. And I liked it a lot more than I really thought I would. That, I honestly am shocked in by summation. that. Yeah. In summation. Yeah. That's a yeah. good summation. Uh, I, I'm honestly shocked you kind of enjoyed it because I know you don't necessarily like Wes Anderson. You're not... You're not an anti-fan, but you just you've never well, really you, hit with this. You his get entrenched. I didn't entrench myself in that camp. People right. that love Wes Anderson, like if you have anything to say, they're like, "You're a hater." <laughs> it's kind of like Beyonce too. It's like yes. if you have any other opinion, it's like you, they put you in the hater yeah. camp. So I've kind of just embraced it. Right. Um, yeah. No. I mean, what that's do you, a that's a great really point. Good. I mean, because yeah, this film especially, like we said before, was the cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. film of his and yes it even though it was like the fans said well fuck the critics they don't know what they're talking about and really people really yeah. held this like into their hearts and i there's a lot of people online even if you look at a lot of these you know now it influenced gen- generation definitely yeah. absolutely and a lot of the people that were you know your age that are now doing like youtube video essays they make these essays on they and they say you know i know that there's issues with this thing and that thing and the pacing or that but I still love it because it touches me in a place, you know, at a time in my life and stuff. And that's what I think really held this film up is, yeah. is it came out at a certain time. And I respect people that. It. I was just a different kind of kid. Right. When mm-hmm. it came, or I don't know, you know. Like, yeah. It wasn't made for you. No, but if you were, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I disagree with that. I always feel films are made for great. everyone. Yeah, if you were, yeah. That's, that's good podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's podcast good material gold. right that's, there. <laughs> but I feel, I feel fam- films are made for everyone. It right. just depends on how open you can be to like stretching your limits you know yeah oh and campari that's the other thing why do hipsters love campari it's because of that movie it's terrible i would never i would never want to drink it. it's a terrible italian liqueur that tastes like like uh like cough syrup and it got popular after that movie i'm glad you brought it up because i saw it and i was like why doesn't he drink regular alcohol like he's he's an old because it's quirky and obscure come on (laughs) i get it but uh yeah, no, I was going to say I'm surprised you like it because, to me, this is one of his quirkier films, if you will. It's the most Wes Anderson, yes, Wes Anderson film. Definitely. I, I think that's part of the reason I enjoy it so much is because it's just so much 
it's so much more out there than the rest of them. You know, you've got these weird stop motion animated little sea creatures. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really fun, you know, because it breaks up the realness to the movie when you've got the deep, heavy emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good thing to talk about first is kind of the the highlight of the film. If we start with the goods is mm-hmm. definitely the visuals are are the most interesting because in a way, a lot of the film feels like it was almost a play like you're seeing a lot in a two-dimensional plane especially right. when you see that ship cut in half mm-hmm. and apparently that that set was like 40 feet high and 150 feet wide yeah i they wrote built, down how cool that looked like it, it's cool because you were able to see them go through every single floor and mm-hmm. every room and stuff and so the set design uh, and just the the art how things feel artificial yet they're you know they feel like they could really exist it's kind of like your mind's playing tricks on you because you know it's all fake but it looks cool enough that you 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 buy it you're drawn in yeah yeah that's part of his whole aesthetic like slightly heightened slightly surreal borderline like cartoonish but just you know real enough Mm mm-hmm i think uh yeah i don't know i think that's good um, well, you wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the highlights of the movie, the emotional, you know, aspects to it. I think we could segue into that with talking about uh, Bill Murray's performance in this movie. Yeah, he is. He's pretty excellent. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I said earlier it was an ensemble movie, but he's in every scene. Yeah, he really is, the and he rock carries it more than any other Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. That, like, he's the lead, and he, yeah, he he brought his unique style to Wes Anderson, I think, and it just fit well. You yeah. Know? He's got that depressing man quality that you can really attach to. What I found really interesting about Steve Zizou, the character, too, is there were there were moments in there was moments in the film where there'll be lines like actually this is this was the perfect piece of the film that portrayed this. So and there's gonna be spoilers in this because we're not going through the plot. Of so course. it's implied that you've probably already seen the film. But basically Steve gets into a fight with Ned, who's played by Owen Wilson, who's mm-hmm. a, apparently his son, although it's not confirmed he's his son. They get well, into a fight. Apparently he shoots blanks. Yeah, apparently he shoots blanks. Yeah. Um, and they, they, you know, that's when the one of the times when they're going through the entire ship and they're fighting. It looks really cool. And then yeah. they go up to the top, and Kate Blanchett's character, <laughs> who's a uh, a reporter reporting on Steve Zizou, she starts a relationship with Ned, and Steve liked her, and so they got into a whole thing about it. And then. You know, it goes from very sunburned reporter. We'll yeah, very that, sunburned. We'll get to, we'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, before before they went up to the top, and it was the three of them down in her room. She wasn't chewing any bubble gum or wearing like a beanie. And yeah. then it cuts, and then she follows them basically up, and all of a sudden she's chewing bubble gum. She's got a beanie, basically a full on hipster. Oh, a continuity. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah, she loves. Well, not a continuity thing actually. It, I I feel in a way I want to say it's intentional because in this scene. She uh, comes up to them while on the uh, beach. They're looking at the jellyfish. No, 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 no. This is this is later in the film. This is later in the film. This mm. is when they get into the fight. Remember, he punches him. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. And he says he liked her. For, or yeah, no, that's right, right? Right. Yeah. And so, uh, let me find exactly what it said here. Um, let me find it. Okay, yeah. She walks into the scene. She's chewing bubble gum, and then she uh, Steve asks her, "What do you want? Like, why are you here? I'm having a thing with my son." She blows a bubble, and she says, "Nothing." And then Steve says, that's so arrogant. And oh, he basically that. like shuts her down. Yeah. And I find that so interesting because it's almost like Wes Anderson is calling out his own fans. Like, you know, screw you for being arrogant hipsters almost. Because Steve Zizou, even though he lives in this very hipster – and I, I hate to say hipstery. But, but this, it is. It is kind of a hipstery world. He is so like almost anti that. He hates yeah. that stuff and he hates that kind of mm-hmm. attitude. But he's in this world. So I, I just found it interesting that – Steve Zizou is like the most un-Wes Anderson character, it feels. Yeah, I mean, he contrasts his crew on every level. They're all trying to follow the rules. He's like, no, see, your, your way is four inches. My way, inch and a half. Let's take my route. He's Yeah, he's the, he's a like a, a negative, like when you have a magnet, he's... Right, he's the negative There's all the Wes Anderson ones, and he's yeah. on the other end yeah, of it, which I'll is interesting. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think he's, he's good, and Owen Wilson plays pretty well off of him as his son. You know, I, yeah. I really... I really dug their relationship. He was a good straight man presence. Yeah. I know yeah. you have some issues Convincing with Convincing accent. accent, too. Yeah. Do I? I don't know. I thought you did. You were doing it to me on the phone earlier. It's just I thought it was his, pretty his, funny. His Kentucky accent. Yeah. <laughs> my mother <laughs> killed the sale. Well, because, <laughs> no, my what I was my issue was, was that this is part of Wes Anderson's whole style is that, oh, isn't it ironic that this is very understated? Like, 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 like oh, oh, my mother killed herself. Oh, haha! Like no, no, oh, not not like a real reaction. Like oh, how interesting, how quirk, how offbeat. Oh, 
you might be my dad. Hmm, really? <laughs> it's so offbeat, quirky, interesting that we did it in such a different way, like, than, than, uh, and that's just, that grades on, one of the things that grades about, right. on me about him, about, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. That's what pe- a lot of people like about him. Mm-hmm. You can tell that there's meaning to the certain things like that, but it takes it takes almost too much to really find the meaning. And when you do find it, sometimes you're like, "Was that really necessary?" Yeah. yeah. Well, for instance, like when they first meet, Jinx. Ned. Oh, yeah, Jinx, buy me some coke. <laughs> <laughs> you have what? coke? We I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Yeah, this has turned into a much different podcast. Um, no, when Ned and Steve Scarface first next. meet, yeah, that's it's not <laughs> a bad movie. You should just watch ahead. it. Um, so they meet for the first time, and it's funny because when he tells him he's his son, Steve has to go smoke a joint and get high just to be able to deal with his reality. Yeah, you know. And then he comes back. He's what like, "All right, so let's say. talk." Yeah, right. <laughs> Lame. And that is actually a great segue into one of the other interesting aspects of the film, which is the score. Mm-hmm. Because I love it. There's, oh, I was gonna get to that. Yeah, there's one part of the score which is uh, for, it's a lot of MIDI like. And that's when they're like underwater and doing stuff. And that was like an actual score. But then they have um, this Pele. Pele. I wrote it down. Yeah. Uh, He basically had him convert a bunch of David Bowie songs Mm -hmm. into Portuguese and play them on guitar. And so throughout the film, you hear him playing all these David Bowie songs. Beautifully. Yeah, they're really interesting. I don't know if they fit perfectly. I think they do. No. Well. What, what, <laughs> what, what do you think? I could break a tie. Go for well, it. I, I was going to say, like, okay, I love I, – I, I knew about Sao George previously, I, right. you know, Bossa Nova. The sound, that type of music, that really melancholy, jazz, acoustic, Brazilian guitar, like, fits with the Wes Anderson aesthetic so well, even visually. That's what I was the thinking. Movie, the movie, the colors, and it's in, like, you know, it's a little, little melancholy. It's by the sea, you know. it, it fit, the, the sound of it fit really well. Okay, oh, I'm going to cast Sao George – I liked that. I liked the music. Like I said, I would listen to that. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like the flip side of that is like, okay, c- congratulations. You you, you did. Why? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, they the... could have done original <laughs> guitar music for it sure. It felt like it felt cool, but I never felt like the David Bowie music really had a purpose. It sounded cool. And yeah, it's like nice to have David Bowie be the backing track. Yeah, but, it's just yeah. another little, oh, look at that. That's that's a little shtick. That's a nice thing. And uh-huh. aside from aside from the life on Mars part, where uh, I wrote that down when he's getting high, when he's getting high, yeah. which that actually has some meaning in the scene of he feels he's like so he's on isolated. Mars. Yeah. No other time did I really feel like the music was serving the scenes as mm. much as that. I did at the end. They had that really upbeat Bowie song, Queen Bitch, and yeah. then right. they played the song, and then Sal George continued it on the credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt it was ending. a little underused, or maybe they just thought like, "Oh, it's a cool idea," but they didn't really. He, as a director, didn't really drive it into. Yeah, it's just the like tone. you know, he's like, "Oh, I like this artist. I want to feature him in the movie." <laughs> yeah, like it's like okay, good. The more I realize cool. it, uh, what, what's the actor's name who plays Pele? Sal George. Sal George really doesn't do anything in the movie except for play guitar. I, I believe he, he was acts a bit while he's playing. Yeah, though. someone yeah. brings up something to him. He's like, "I don't know where this is," and that's <laughs> it. Like that's all he does. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, so then uh, let's get into uh, a little some more relationships. Uh, we can talk about the triangle yeah. of the movie between Kate Blanchett, Steve, and. But just Owen last Moore. thing on the music, I oh, did yeah. I did like the the composed parts by Mark Mothersbaugh. Yes, yeah. those were. Then uh, yeah, and I liked that they had a mixture. If it was mm-hmm. like just composed synth music or just sad, or I you know I generally I, I look I like music in movies. I look yeah. for it. I think we look all for do. it. Yeah. Um, but before we get to that yes. triangle, I think there's a more interesting triangle, which is the triangle between Steve, uh, Ned, and Willem and, Dafoe. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Who? Uh, what Klaus. was Willem Dafoe's? Klaus. Klaus Daimler. I can't. I don't even have to look at that name because I know how awesome it is. Yeah. He, I mean, he's amazing. You yeah. cannot like Willem Dafoe in anything. With much. his accent in this movie, it's spectacular. Although this isn't one of my favorite Wes Anderson films, and I'll get to where it kind of ranks for me, I will mm. say that Klaus is one of my favorite character, just yes. film really characters. Is. Yeah. yeah. Because what's great about him is he's is underwritten in a sense, not not like in a bad way, but you don't know a f- ton about him. Mm-hmm. You just get these certain lines that give you all you need to know about him, like, you know, how he feels about Steve and why he hates Ned and stuff. And just the fact that he's the biggest bitch of them all, yeah. he just cries at anything is it's hysterical so every time. Yeah, no, he, he brings a, a lot of fun to this movie. You know, I love the interaction um, with him and Owen Wilson, with Ned, when they uh, – after he's like talking 
to his father and then he uh he comes up to him and he slaps him yeah you know and uh he's he like don't don't mess with steve. don't mess with steve he's like he's like he's he's kind of like he's my big brother you know is what he's doing he's, he's like, like hey step in if you ever touch me again i'm gonna slap you back <laughs> that was a terrible accent it was, yeah but, <laughs> but then he does and, and will the was like oh what he's your he missed your father i don't have that like, like, well, that was, that was excellent yeah um, and then also, this is a really interesting thing. Apparently, so Willem Dafoe had met Wes Anderson somewhere before they made the movie. And Wes mm-hmm. Anderson was like, I'd love to use it in a film, but I'm already making this one and the cast's all full. And then like a couple months later or a couple weeks later, he says, hey, Willem Dafoe, so it looks like the guy that played Klaus dropped out. You want to film a movie in like a week? Who was that guy? I'm curious. Never found out. Willem Dafoe will not say. But Damn. apparently the guy dropped out. And so he got the part. Well, I, I'm so happy yeah. that guy dropped out. Well, I mean, Willem Dafoe is basically in like eighteen movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's got them lined up. Yeah, he's just phenomenal. Yeah, so let's uh, let's break into another relationship, Kate Blanchett. And I know we can start this off a little bit with Roman's little stance on her tan line. She was very tan. Yeah, she was, it wasn't a tan line; it was tan all over. She right. Was, she was just like, like. I don't know if they wanted her to be like glowing, like pregnant, but I think she, that's kind she of was what just they were like, why for. is her skin a different color? Yeah, I think uh, I like Kate Blanchett in this movie. I don't know about you guys. How do you feel? I liked her too. Her? Like she was, you know, she's always good. She's a she played that type of. Like, we keep going back to the quirkiness, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the quirky Wes Anderson engine, like because the movie was all pretty much all men. Well, besides Angelica yeah. Houston, until she showed up. And then they're like, oh, this new, fresh, interesting girl. And I think she she captured that. I mean, that's one of the things I really like about... I really have no critiques about the performances because I like... He lets actors act. And yeah. he wants actors to act. Um, and that's one of the main things I have always liked about him. And that's, I'm sure, why actors love working for yeah. him and want to work with him. Well, because you think, you'd think a guy that has such bizarre dialogue and really, really like <clears throat> visually like pieced together shots where like you can tell it clearly tell they were almost sculptured right the way he sees in his head you'd think he'd be you know directing the actors m- like micromanaging them mm-hmm. but yeah it feels like he gives them free reign to play the scenes how they want as long as they you know get what he needs yeah. which is no, moving I mean, in the it, ways they need it doesn't feel like people were you know so much stuck to the page as so much as what was on the page and they it's there's just a lot of fun in this movie between everyone acting together I could definitely, yeah, tell they, they probably didn't have a bad time filming it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I even read that uh, Bill Murray, when they would have downtime, would just, like, sing to people. He wasn't known oh, yeah. for his voice, and so, like, to c- counter that, Owen Wilson bought, a like, a foosball table. There you go. Yeah, Man. so that's pretty cool. That's fun. Yeah, well, Bill, Bill Murray has a whole slew of unique, uh, I think there's a whole documentary about him now, about Netflix. just his unique stories he has when he meets yeah. people. Like, He'll, like, go to weddings and just hang out. That's what he does. It's, yeah, fuck yes. yeah. I love it. Good for him. Yeah, no, it's so cool. Um, I want to talk about, uh, just, you know, we can get into some of the things about the movie. You know, there was an interesting shot in the movie. I don't know if you guys remember it, but it lasted for about 10 seconds, and it's literally just Steve is on he's somewhere and he takes out a, a fish and oh yeah orca jumps up and grabs it and then we just cut away instantly funny thing about that shot so the reason they got that shot in rushmore west sanderson wanted to do something like that because there was going to be the whole thing with this aquarium in that film mm-hmm. and so he was going to have you know that same thing of like something grab come up and grab the fish from bill murray in that film and they never got to do it so they they're like oh no, well now we can do it it'll oh, be nice. kind of cool and yeah yeah, it was I want to know. There's things like that where it's just like, how that? How do they achieve that? I There's some really, really guess. cool shots yeah. that you're just like. Yeah, my wow. favorite shot in the movie was I thought was like really beautiful and cinematic was that one when, <clears throat> excuse me, when he goes to get Angelica Houston, ask her for money. She's staying at I think Jeff Goldblum's house, mm-hmm. and they're on that cliff, mm-hmm. having that discussion on that beautiful cliff and the sunset. Like that was very cinematic. That's where that budget, you know. Came yeah, in handy definitely. right there. I mean, there's there's some beautiful locales in this movie. And they filmed it all in Italy, pretty much. Yeah, on yeah, a boat that they bought. Yeah. It was an old freighter that they towed into the port and shot on. Yeah. yeah. And Which... interesting thing about <clears throat> shooting on, on a boat, um, it gets really cold. Yeah. And so apparently they would film those nighttime scenes during nighttime, like Oof. at night at 3 a.m. Yeah. So, excuse me, they'd have to be up 
on like the top of the so not inside mm-hmm. up on top at 3 a.m in 19 degree weather oh man that's brutal filming filming yeah, those scenes the open sea yeah, yeah like those dangerous. nighttime scenes it's a shame where the movie didn't do better so they could feel better about going through that and the thing is it's pitch black outside so you literally can't see anything behind them right and so you think why didn't they film it in a studio and mm-hmm. actually wes anderson said yeah we probably should have filmed it in a studio yeah, they could have i mean not gonna lie but, yeah you know he was trying to do his thing i i understand it i respect it he does what he wants you know well i but also i think it's actually interesting where there's things like that where now um he kind of looks back and like yeah maybe we shouldn't have done that or shouldn't have done this and it was a learning experience too where he had such a big idea of i want to do like this big thing on a boat and i want this and that i want to film on the open sea and stuff and then realizing what that actually means you know right it's a lot to undertake yeah especially for a younger director who didn't have so much under he had movies under his belt but he didn't have the acclaim that he does now even yeah, 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 exactly, and I think that that's actually I keep we keep segueing. It's kind of oh, lovely, um, good talking about filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to talk about some of the the cinematography. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, because you know, all of us Anderson film have that really distinct style of let's two D plane. We're gonna go vertical and horizontal. Lots of side pans. Yeah, panning and dollying and stuff. Mm-hmm. But with this one, I found there was a lot of handheld work. Where they were kind of just on the shoulder, moving between them and yeah. stuff, which was also true due to in, the boat. Well, not just the boat, but I think it's because this film. I, I, at first, I couldn't figure out why, and then I realized this movie is about documentarians. Yeah, and so then I thought, oh, well, okay, it makes sense. They they kind of bridge that documentary side to it because you know, as documentarians, you'd be having the camera just in your hands, moving mm-hmm. around with it. Yeah, and so it makes sense. And I I thought that was interesting that he was. They kind of don't let on that there's a film within a film. Yeah, like halfway I like through. that. And right. Like, oh, yeah. They're and you remember, yeah. And so you could think like some of those shots maybe was like from the film, you know, mm-hmm. the POV of maybe one of the people in the film. And I, I think that that's pretty interesting that you'd think a director like that who has such a distinct style and knows exactly what he wants would stick to his film language that he's invented for himself. But he seems a lot more adaptable in this film to kind of trying a little more not traditional but a little more indie if you will yeah shots yeah um, well how do you this is <clears throat> see this is related to that how do you feel about the tangents like that he goes on like he this is something he does in a lot of his movies like say the the boat like at the beginning of the movie what was the name of the boat the bellafonte the like, when they go okay, through it the bellafonte yeah. and he goes off on a little tangent where he's like look at my camera it's trick a diorama. i'm doing this and you show you're like oh that's cool and nifty and I like that. That's interesting. And then at the same time, like literally, I have a, I have like the opposite opinion about every good opinion I have about this movie because then it's like, you know, that's a little precious and a little pretentious and a little bit like, okay, you're showing us what you can do. And it's fine the first time, but then he goes back to that. And they, they, he kind of goes back to the well a lot on his gimmicks. And it, I, it, I don't know. It gets old for me. That's what I think is... The big thing about this film, where is that? Yeah, I'd say Western has his gimmicks, if you want to call him yeah, that. I think, right, I think right. that's I mean, true. And a with term. a lot of his other films, he he does that as well. But what I think makes those ones different is he blends those really like showy moments with an equal amount of character and emotional moments. And I feel like this one, he there were the character moments were kind of tossed aside a bit more. And the big showy spectacle stuff was put more in the forefront. And I think that's where the issue for me comes most especially is that yeah. it comes really down to the pacing yeah. and the I editing. was going to wait to say it, but I would say over-directed. Right. Exactly. In yeah. some ways. Because if you look at something like the Gra- the Grand Budapest Hotel, right, which has an, a very similar idea of okay. a lot of – Haven't seen Oh, oh, it's great film. You might like that one, honestly. There's a lot of. I might. Yeah, you might. <laughs> Twas Anderson. Twas Anderson. I and just also, might kind of like it. Might. I just might kind of not like it. I might like it once and never see it again. Most likely, <laughs> you just that's, gotta find out. Kind of... <laughs> but and actually, I'm not gonna say Grand Budapest. I'm gonna say The Darjeeling Limited, which is one of my favorite Wes Anderson films, and is another one that most people tend to hate. Um, I hear it's a, a deeper than a lot of his other films it is really deep and that's what's great is it has the same idea it's instead of a boat it's a train and it's yeah. this big train and it's this big spectacle a journey thing. yeah right but what's different about that one is for all of the crazy like oh look at my camera and look at what i'm doing oh, it's all rooted in these three brothers and their emotional journey to basically 
just get over all of their problems. And, you know, with this one, I felt like the emotional journey of Steve was secondary to the let's go big kind of stuff. And maybe that wasn't the intention, but like you said, because it was over-directed and he was trying to do too yeah. many things. Yeah. It was his first chance he had to flex his creative muscles. Well, to this he, extent. Yeah. To, to Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that because, for instance, uh, an example of that, we have two huge set pieces, two huge shootouts, you know, they're giant epic scenes, and those we get a lot of time spent on those, and there's a lot going on in them. And then, for instance, Ned's death is brushed over. Well, I wouldn't say it's brushed over. But it lasts about 30 seconds. Well, yeah. And yeah. actually, to expand on that, it's not yeah, just— it's understated. Oh, he died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, goofy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel with this film... That's a Wes Anderson fan, by the way. Oh, wow. How goofy. How interesting. That's <laughs> not your Zoe Deschanel? <laughs> that basically. Slash it, Kermit. Yeah. It seems that Wes Anderson with this one was trying to have the film be distant from the audience. And you can tell that from his dialogue because mm -hmm. characters aren't talking like we really would to each other. They're very um, cold yeah. and almost alien at times. And you can see that with the camera, you know, everything is very wide and, you know specific most of the time um and so then to have a story that's really i mean what the life aquatic is really about and a guy who's lost who he is he yes. isn't the same man anymore and actually there was a great video essay um i can't remember the name of it for the life of me but uh oh it was by this guy uh bread's word i want to say or bread sword i don't mm -hmm. remember how to say it but yeah uh, he is called an argument for wes anderson and he talks about this um I guess you called a motif in the film about sparks, about electricity. So every time you see, you hear a spark mm -hmm. or see a spark in the film, or when the light, you know, there's those times when the lights would all shut off in the boat and then they turn it back on. It's all related to who Steve used to be. He's lost his spark, you know. Yeah. And so every time that there's a spark or like the the uh, the lights go out in the ship because they, you know, the power died, someone else fixes it. Yeah, they hit mm -hmm. the ship. And then the last time when they're about to go find the, the, the shark, the leopard shark. He, he fixes it. Yeah. And then he's like, everybody come along. And you're like, okay, like this is the guy that's broken and he's finding his way. And there's cool things like that about like relating it to him as a character. But with a story that's so dependent on it being about his journey, about him overcoming himself, they, that, that, that choice to make the film alienating is a detriment to the story and a detriment to the character, I think. Yeah, well, they were going back and forth. I don't know if he really decided if he wanted it to be more about characters and relationships or more about the plot. Like, it, it was too long. It was it was too long. It was about two hours, it, yeah. It was two hours flat, but it felt long. Well, I, it's I not believe a, it's the longest of all his films. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty certain. And two hours isn't that long for a movie, but it dragged and mm -hmm. it had false endings and it had too much dead space and like I said, these tangents where he didn't need to repeat himself like you know we okay we we get it there's a lot of cool interesting different rooms in the boat like but he shows it to us many times right yeah no i think i'll agree with that it went on for uh a little bit too long and i you brought up an excellent point which i want to talk about steve's journey of discovery because i wrote down uh during the last like what i thought was the last five minutes of the movie it was about the 144 mark uh, when Steve is talking with Jane, you know, uh, about his journey of self-discovery over the course of the movie, uh, he had to, to find himself. He had to lose the thing he never wanted, but he always needed. You know, I thought that was interesting because then right after that, they find the leopard shark and he has this beautiful line of, I wonder if it remembers me. And actually that moment because that's the that's the moment where he's like i wonder if you remember me and then he starts to cry i and got everyone, teary not gonna lie yeah, everyone's that, touching the hands him. yeah and now here's what i'll was here's what I'll say moment. i felt i felt that but i felt it because of bill murray's performance yes 100 i did not at all feel it because of the story yeah. because this film was telling the whole time steve's an asshole but now he's found his okay yeah. we can learn to be okay with him here's the issue though him him you know the crew being okay with him everyone else like accepting him and him learning his mistake happens all that happens when um ned dies when ned dies yeah. right ned dies and it's that's sympathy, when he, it's pity well yeah it's like that's things ned dies and then it's basically five scenes in a row of mm -hmm. him like hey talking to this guy sorry i did that hey talking to you sorry i did that hey talking to you sorry i did that okay i'm a good guy now now everyone's okay with me now i can have my moment and it felt like like you were saying because there's so many tangents because they spent yeah. so much time like doing all the cool things all the character stuff got pushed into this last 10 minutes and I 
in a story way, in an arc way, I don't care that everyone's okay with Steve now and they're touching him. I felt it because of Bill Murray, but not at all yeah. because of the character. At that point in the movie when I was watching, I was like, this is dragging. And then it was like, yeah. oh, it was it was worth it for that beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, because of you said, probably more because of Yeah, Bill it's Murray. a really good moment because then it's kind of just like brushed aside because then all we get is him at the movie theater. And I felt it was... It was a false ending because we yeah. had there's ten minutes more movie left, you know. And if if we had ended it on that Wait, note, on which which one's ten minutes left? Oh, so you mean when after when he says, "I wonder if it remembers him. me." Yeah. Mm. If we would have ended it there, the movie would have been that much better because that's a you felt the ending was ending. Yeah. I feel yeah with the ending there when it's him outside and everyone's watching the film with the kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I yeah I don't the the kid being there and he puts him on his shoulders. He's that like was a hero running through the streets. Yeah, he leaves the award. Yeah. Theater, yeah. I feel that moment. I felt was a little like. I it didn't I I felt nothing about it. it like, no why way. is the kid there? I I believe that's the same kid that was Klaus's, Klaus's nephew. nephew. Yeah, yeah. Verna. And then like Verna. the kid, you know, oh. and then it's like, oh, oh, we're all cool now, and it was cool. But yeah, I feel like it would have been stronger to end on such an emotional moment yeah. than end on the what is ultimately the it cooler moment. Would have been stronger moment. to end twenty minutes early. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. The ending yeah. we have is cool because it's like, oh, all of them walking down in slow mo, and mm-hmm. then they're on the boat and. That's all cool. But yeah, was it needed? I don't think so. And it feels like we're just wasting time there. Like we already know he's going to be okay. We don't right. need to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I bring up two characters? Go for Absolutely. It. One of them, Jeff Goldblum. One, Michael Gambon. Mm, Great yes, actor. Yes. I love him. He's a really good actor. Why why was he necessary? Uh, he, was he was the, the money producer. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, but he, Dumbledore for those uninitiated. <laughs> he was, you know, it's like, oh, I could get Michael Gambon in my film. Why not? I yeah. got Sal George. That's huh. Yeah, he was a well, character yeah, what, who could have been talked to solely on the phone and off screen. You know? Yeah, I was surprised because he says, Oh, I gotta get my passport fixed, so then he's out of the movie, and then all of a sudden when Ned dies, he's back in. He's went yeah. to film Harry Potter. That's, yeah, that's yeah right. It just it felt weird. It's like he they kind of use him in the beginning and then they forget about him mm. and then bring him back and and Jeff Jeff Goldblum was him the it. funniest I, yeah. he was he was the most like he was just himself so he was the most like traditionally funny thing I thought like yeah. outside of the Wes Anderson shtick like when they show oh are you here to rescue yeah, me? I wrote that down and then he gets shot <laughs> okay, that was the here's, that was, was so funny here's part. one of the best things and this is also a testament to some actually good writing is that okay. He gets shot, right? Yeah. He's running through. What does Steve do? He sees another guy get shot in the leg. He's like, someone help that help guy. Him, and, yeah. and right behind him is uh, it's Jeff Goldblum. Jeff with Goldblum. Sh- shot yeah. in the well, chest. The beautiful part Still about bleeding. that is when, is when Jeff Goldblum says that, Steve's reaction is kind of like, ah, oh, fuck, do I have to? And then he gets shot, and he, gets, he has that relief. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. He didn't really even wreck him yet. He, he, he kind of got no, out of his They were going to rescue the other guy. They didn't yeah. care, but they assumed he was dead. And I, Another good line of Jeff Goldblum's is once they save him and they're on the boat, um, he looks at, he's with the, the, the stooge, the bank stooge in yeah. the kitchen, and he goes, is this my espresso machine? How'd you get it? And the stooge goes, he fucking stole it, man. <laughs> and I just thought that was such a good joke. That was that was pretty good. Yeah. Um. And actually, this is this is a little unrelated, but I'm just remembering it because uh, we didn't talk about it earlier. When I was talking about it, the film being about a documentary crew, mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that I find it interesting that this film, you know, it's a it's a movie about making movie. And how many of those have we seen? You know, we've seen a million of those. A lot. And films about directors and stuff. And what I appreciate actually is that it doesn't lean into the documentary aspect a ton. That's mm-hmm. kind of. That's kind of the the frame around it, and you know we see them sometimes, you know, with the cameras or in the editing room and stuff. But they actually use the idea of it being a film really well, especially in developing Ned and um, and Steve, because yeah. there's the whole issue of does Steve want to call him his son in the film? Mm-hmm. What is their relationship going to be on screen and stuff? Yeah. And instead of them using it to be like, look, we're commenting on Hollywood. Look at us. Oh, we know yeah. what Hollywood's like because we're Hollywood people. They actually used it purposefully, and I think it it actually worked really yeah. well. You saying that just now about how they used the kind of used the device of the documentary in there brought just brought up the thought to me that I can really see Wes Anderson. I I don't I've never read this or anything, but he's definitely influenced by Christopher Guest, like Best in Show, Spinal Tap. I I, I believe so. Mighty Wind, those type of. If you think about a weird ensemble cast of very deadpan, quirky characters. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's hard to pin down any kind of influence for Wes Anderson because he's so unique. But right. you just saying that 
prompted that thought. I'm I congratulations actually, to me. What an excellent yeah. original we should just end there. thought connection yeah. that I made. Nice. No, for real. Go that ahead. actually yeah. I've never thought of that. <laughs> That's a really, really good point, Roman, because now think about it, like you're totally right. There there's no way Christopher Guest didn't in some way uh inspire elements yeah, of stuff. Right. Well his humor is really influential. You guys should do a, a Christopher Guest movie sometime. Are is there bad? any bad Christopher Guest? I don't know. <laughs> That's the problem. That's a thing, yeah. That's um, another podcast. So. But talk about influences, I think it's a good time to talk about Jacques Cousteau. Yes. Who yeah. is I, I don't know if you guys know I don't know if you guys picked up on that but apparently no, Jacques Cousteau I, I inspired no this movie I had yeah. no idea um, but yeah Jacques Cousteau famous uh, oceanog- oceanographer and documentarian yeah. explorer um, and clear the most clear uh, inspiration for the film Steve Zizou interesting uh, the people I don't know if it's the people that own the rights to Jacques Cousteau's stuff or his family's estate uh, did not like want any involvement with the film and didn't want any mention of his name they say his name once but yeah, they really yeah. There's nothing about Jacques mm-hmm. Cousteau, which is kind of funny. Like, and I feel bad for Wes and, Anderson because it's like the film is is a, uh, a, love, like a love letter, letter to him, him, and yeah. he can't even talk. And about I kind of felt like his his mentor, Lord Mandrake, that he alluded to, might Jacques have been, yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah, stand-in. And that I mean, even uh, yeah, even Esteban is like a stand-in for Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, I can we get? I want a prequel movie Esteban's with Esteban. Been eaten. Yeah, Esteban, look at his eyes. He's got the crazy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, Did you man. guys pick up on kind of a little bit of a Moby Dick similarity? Like, yes, we oh, yeah. Instead of the leg, shark. it was the friend and yeah. you know, man's journey to Definitely. find his, mm-hmm. you know. I thought they'd go more into it, yeah. but they yeah, didn't. they did it. They didn't. <laughs> right. I, I thought that would have been really interesting is to kind of in, go into that Moby Dick realm of right. the crazy him going crazy, but he never really does. He's just kind of an asshole throughout the movie. Yeah, in his own Wes Anderson mm-hmm. way, maybe they do. Well, here's yeah. – I, I forgot to ask this quen- a question a while back, but uh, – I've seen this movie. This is my fourth time watching it. So I wanted mm-hmm. to know. I know you haven't seen it before, right, Roman? I saw it once saw like it once? 10 years ago when yeah. it first was out or 12 and years ago. You saw it once a long time ago too, right, Skyler? So back in 2016 over the summer, I, I had already seen um, – my first film that I saw of his was Grand Budapest mm-hmm. in 2014. And then 2016, I was like, you know what? I got to watch all his films. So I took a week and every day I watched one of his movies. And so, yeah, I saw it two years ago then, and I didn't really think about it much. I was like, okay. And then right. I never watched it again until now. Okay, well, so that segues into my question of... I watch it now, too. Yeah. How, well, of course, I would hope you have. <laughs> I hope otherwise, you watched it for this. what are you talking about? Um, how... Yeah, we're okay. Have your... I could be talking about any Wes Anderson. You really you could. You could. Character names we would have no titles, idea, I, yeah. and it would be beautiful. <laughs> They're all the uh, same. Yeah. <laughs> Has your opinion... Kind of at all change from your first viewing of this movie. Yeah. 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 I like I said, I when I was when it came out when I was younger, I had some probably unfair associations with it because of the people that were obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's but I feel the same way that I feel about all Wes Anderson movies in that like there were moments that were very delightful and playful and uh, and and enjoyable and those same moments were then beat over the head and he kills the joke often like by just like uh, uh the hotel citron scene yeah when they go and rescue yeah him, before they build up to the, to the rescue when they actually find him, the guy and jeff goldblum it just went on too long like it was oh it's funny they're they're going like little scooby-doo running and mm-hmm. they, but the, it's, it's like we get it and he's you can tell that he's very in love with what he's doing and is and when he when he does that in like the animated movies like Fantastic Mr. Fox or Isle of Dogs, like I remember once I, in Isle of Dogs, I was watching like, oh, this is a cool sequence. And they're really just doing it to show the cool capabilities of this animation. Like the sushi scene. Yeah, yeah. and you get it more when it's a, a medium like that. When it's but then extremely when visual. it's live action and when it's seven, when the movies, when you know, it's supposed to be like the climax of the movie soon, you're checking your watch and you're like, okay, we get you're a good filmmaker. Give us something. Give me get the, us the next there. fifteen minutes. Like, yeah, you know. No, I get it. I mean, out of steam. Yeah. Sorry, I just rant. No, like, that's I'm fine. Caffeinated. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we want you to rant. Uh, so, how about you, Skyler? I first time I saw it, I felt okay. Visually, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. But because when I see movies, I'm really interested in the story, and that's really the most important part for me. And there's other people that say, you know, they can get by with the visuals, and as long as it's showing a, you know, the other elements of of filmmaking are there. But for me, if you don't have the story down, you you don't have a great movie. And so when I first saw it, I was like, this story is too it's you know, weak. It's weak and it's basic. And I didn't really connect with it much. I felt the characters were wooden and stuff. And so I wrote it off as fine, you know. 
But then this time seeing it, I noticed more that they're the characters in this film in in a way are most of them more realistic yes. than other Wes Anderson characters in the sense that they have a lot more flaws and they they act a little more realistic. At least Bill Murray for sure is a true asshole. He's not a quirky asshole. He's just a pure asshole throughout mm-hmm. the most of the film. And I appreciated more that the film, even though it lives in that really Wes Anderson world, the characters and yeah, the characters and the way they're written felt a lot more um, um what's the word? authentic, yeah. mm-hmm. authentic. Um, as far a lot as of them had some things at stake, you know, okay, Blanchett yeah. had a baby. Um, even the interns were like, "We're gonna die. We want school yeah. credit. Yeah, we just want to go to college." <laughs> yeah. But in terms of the issues I had the first time I had, I saw, I still feel those issues are there. And actually, I, I had new issues where, because the characters were better or the the writing was better than I remember it being, it actually made it worse that those elements that weren't good weren't good. Because, like I said before, because he overindulges in certain things, it makes those characters feel weaker because they aren't given the spotlight they should have. Or at least their arcs aren't, you know? Yeah. No, I I agree with that very much. Um <clears throat> and this then, is, yeah, continue. There's actually a video I wanted to show oh, yeah, before we move on, which yeah. is um, the Criterion Collection. They did a interview with Wes Anderson, Willem Dafoe, and uh, Bill Murray about making the film. And I wanted to show this guys to you and kind of get your perspective because seeing this, we can really get a sense of what it was like to make the movie. And then, in a way, maybe put ourselves into their shoes. Yeah, I'm game. What do you say, audience? <laughs> Let's do it. Roll that footage. Everybody tells you, don't do it. Um, don't go sure. film this movie on boats and things. Really? Uh, uh, do a different sort of story. And, um, and, and, you know, they're right, it turns out. What's that goofy town on the water? We're Naples. We're in Naples. We had to go offshore on Naples. We had to be in the harbor and, and shoot on the boat at night. And it was really cold. Anything at night, we would have done on a set. You know, we, went out, we, were, we were out on, on these boats in the middle of the night in pitch black. Um, and um, there's no, there's no benefit uh, to that. Okay, why don't we shoot what's his name, Sal George, singing songs inside in the heated boat until three o'clock in the morning, and then we'll shoot Bill outside in the water when it was 19 degrees. And also, we just didn't. We, what we had not done. What we didn't do was uh, the round of things where you say what's going to really happen. This pirate attack we did in the movie. We, uh, you know, I think we scheduled uh, four days mm. uh, to shoot this thing. Well, this wasn't a realistic uh, uh, schedule for something so to be shot. So you know more about all that now and how yeah. to anticipate. And yes. that's just. And I remember one day where it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, and I said, "We're not going to get a shot today. We're not going to roll this camera, are we?" I mean, we had reached this very late moment in the day and all we could do was make boats continue to not get in line with each other smoke boat in the wrong place in relation to the pirate boat and the other boat and then suddenly we're ready to go but we realize there's a there's a there's land you know we've we've the whole thing is spun around and now we're facing the wrong direction and we're looking right at Italy yeah the plans weren't working and you know as a result of which we went 20 days over schedule. I don't know if you remember that. 20 days is a pretty good hunk. I mean, that's the, the you know, for all we know, that could be that could have been half a movie, you know. Um, and we went eight million dollars over budget. Well, these days nobody would let us go eight million dollars over. They How would we go eight million dollars over? But what eight million dollars? Is there any shortcut to learning the things that you've learned without having done that? So isn't that a great thing you know uh, I know I, I agree I also I feel like we made a thing that's you know I mean we did we did we did our movie all right so that that video gives a lot of insight about really the production and how it all went down you know they went 20 days over schedule they went nine eight million dollars over budget mm-hmm. they were filming in freezing cold weathers none of their plans are going right scheduling was all over the place and so the question here for me is where does this i wouldn't say blame but where is where the problem lie was it him as a director getting too ambitious was he not thinking things through well enough or could it you know was he just um was it more reactionary to issues that were happening they said 20 days Mm -hmm. over i think five of those days were owen wilson's pauses 
Oh my god. Get this guy on more. I, <laughs> oh lord. Yeah, I the first word that came to mind was over ambition. I think, you know, Wes Anderson wanted to do a lot, you know, especially shooting on the water, but practically speaking, J- James Cameron didn't have to do that with Titanic, you know. So, there are reasons to have made do it. Talk to Cameron. Yeah, should talk to talk Jimbo, to man, Jimbo. <laughs> Uh, no, I think, yeah, it's just, it's an overambition. It's too much. He put too much on everybody's shoulders and everyone couldn't make it work in the time within the budget that they had, I feel like. Are we in the misdirected portion? Not yet. No, you have to give your your side of this. Yeah. The question. This is just solely in regards to. Pose the question again. The question was, was, uh, do you feel (laughs) that the issues that we saw in the video, was that on the hands of the director or is it more of him reacting to issues that were happening? Probably on the hands of him because it's the, the first time he had this much of a budget you mm-hmm. know he just never and he had uh pretty much had autonomy autonomy that's a tough one yeah over everything he, you know in his artistic vision he was in control pretty much a lot they let him be you know because this style right. movie kind of art not art house but very you know that comes with the wes anderson deal is like his creative control so that i guess i would put that blame on him yeah cool <laughs> Be better, Wes. Yeah, be better. Uh, so <laughs> go over the movies. Right? Yeah, so I now, don't hate you, Wes. Uh, none of us do. Now, if you ever listen to this, put me in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> meet all of us, please. We really need the money. Um, this podcast needs the money. Uh, now let's get into, uh, let's say, one of your favorite movies of Wes Anderson. What would this be? Is the, this is the happy, well, positive before times. We, before yeah, we get oh, yes, to the I'm structured so, part, so can oh, I share right. a few more anecdotes? That's right. Absolutely. You have anecdotes so, and you have a story, right? Yeah, I have a quick story. Go a few it. more anecdotes about Life Aquatic, though. Wes Anderson movies in general, the kind of sort of the, the, the hue he on the sh- on the screen, the way the the brightness, the I don't know, it makes me nauseous a little bit, <laughs> and and the combined with the pace, the, the whole vibe makes me a little like uncomfortable, like I'm a little like you know have a little like discomfort in my in my like, little heartburn here, and it, it really. A specific spot where that happened in this movie that made me nauseous was that robbery scene, um, when the, when the Filipino pirates, which was a good oh, scene, yeah. the first half of it, but then it was like moving really fast. There was fast music. I was like, ah, it was giving me a headache. And then they had a stupidly funny shootout, which I thought was like one of the you know again a little more traditional comedy, like a little physical. You know, you, Steve Zissou, you know, he's this guy. And then he has the Glock. I he just yeah. I just pull, he just blasts like eight pirates. Yeah, he just and, takes on that whole army. Which I love. Pirates. But I have a little Wes Anderson story. So um, I was al- alluding to a little earlier to upper middle class white people desperately trying to be interesting is sort of, you know, the most judgmental, worst way I could characterize this movie. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I, in college, I... Some I was in an acting company, and and one of my friends, my company, was a really big Wes Anderson fan, and she planned this Wes Anderson murder mystery party. Oh my god! I remember this. She planned it for so long, and she's like, "Roman, you're in on this. I need you." And like, it was very imp- wasn't this type of thing where like, oh, you could show up because she needed to know which people were gonna be there for specific like plot. Th- she put so much effort into this, and. She's like, what character do you want? What character do you want? I was like, I I don't know. And I I, I like Royal Tenenbaums. So I was like, I'll, I'll be Brent Stiller from Royal Tenenbaums. I just like jokingly said that. She's like, oh, great. Okay, make sure you watch the movie beforehand. Like, Weeks go by. I didn't watch the movie. It's the night of. I'm supposed to dress up. I'm like, eh, I don't. I don't want to go to a Wes Anderson party. Go, I'll go to any other party. Let's do a Woody Allen party. Let's do a Scorsese party. I don't know. <laughs> that would make more sense with the murder mystery. So I go, and everyone is really invested, uh-huh. like quoting lines from the movie, uh-huh. really in character. And I was a little embarrassed that I was just like half-assed, didn't know what to do. And I was like, yeah, I... I haven't seen the movie in ten years. I don't know what the character's like. A, a, a bed stiller. I had like a certain like type of the 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah. like since each person was a very important part to like whatever plot she made, I tried to have a little a couple improv conversations, had a few snacks, and then I left. <laughs> and I don't know if I spoiled the whole. You definitely did. 
thing. You ruined but it. Good job. There's a photo that exists too on Facebook from that we can find and yeah, post it we, to we uh, <laughs> our supplementary or social media materials. I think we will. It's of me like really just like awkwardly smirking with a bunch of people that are really enthused Hi, about. I'm ben Stiller. Yeah, <laughs> that that experience honestly turned me off to Wes Anderson for a bit. Well, well let's yeah. talk about. Uh, Sorry, that was a little. What long. A, that's now fine. let's let's see what turns you on yeah, let's, about Wes Anderson. We can trim that. We yeah. can trim that. What turns you on? What's what would be your favorite Wes Anderson movie, Roman? Um, I guess I would say Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. yeah. What uh, just go into a, like a just a quick summary? Why it's one of your favorites? Probably because it was the f- the first time, first Wes Anderson movie I've seen, or the first time his style of like, oh, you really understated melancholy things with like unique quirky comedy woven in. It it was the first time I'd seen something like that, or like you know he asserted him his style. Okay. So it, and it left an impression on me because I saw it when I was young. So. Right. Nice. Skylar? Uh, well, the first Wes Anderson film I saw is still my favorite. And I've, you know, not just because of the first one, but it's it's uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yes. Uh, from 2014. Uh, what's incredible about Grand Budapest is unlike any other Wes Anderson film, it so perfectly uses his style. Ac- ac- it's the best use of his style for the storytelling. Because this is a story that takes place in the 30s and the 60s and the 80s in Europe. And each section is is shot differently, is dressed differently, is almost in a way written differently. And, you know, this is where because of his quirkiness and because of the period piece, they all mesh together so beautifully. And the characters are (laughs) the most, I would say, the most human and also the most alienated and, and bizarre and the funniest of them all i mean uh m Gu- um mr gustav played mm-hmm. by uh, uh ray fines is I-, I felt should have been nominated for yes, an oscar for that he was film. fantastic he's mm-hmm. one of the best actors that wes anderson's ever mm-hmm. brought in. hands down um and just the the how sad that movie it's the it's most depressing yeah. one of his films and it it actually lets itself be depressing it's not like Life Aquatic, where the depressing stuff, the pressing stuff, isn't given the full Takes the back weight. Seat. Yeah. yeah, the whole movie has this layer of depression, and then at the end, they layer it on mm-hmm. so hard to the point where you're like, "Was this a Wes Anderson film?" I right. feel, I feel Splits, royally like yeah. whipped here, and that's why I just feel it's the most true film of his. It, it's not playing games through it, and not to say that he plays games, but he likes to like overindulge sometimes. And this one, he's really. The story is the main focus. Yeah. The characters are the main focus. Re- really quick, Dakota, before you, you said Grand Budapest was a period piece. Was there any defined time period for Life Aquatic? It didn't seem so. It felt Not like they really. wanted some hint of the it, 60s it felt and it was, of the 80s. It was supposed to be kind of vague, I guess. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's pretty. I think it's the modern day. And they never really say where this is taking place. Yeah. You feel like it might be Europe, but then it might be the Pacific Northwest. Like it, yeah. They go all over the world, too. It doesn't make sense because they're Filipino pirates, but then they <laughs> go to Port-au-Patois, which is in Haiti. Ah. Or, or maybe I'm thinking of Port-au-Prince, but it's in the Caribbean. So like they intentionally make it weird like Yeah, that. I would okay. say if I had to like flip my my finger on it, I would say 90s somewhere in Europe. 90s. Let's go to the 90s. Let's go to the 90s. Um my favorite would probably be Fantastic Mr. Fox. I just that was one I think that was his second or third movie that I had seen and just it was one of the first adult Silver Surfer? Silver Surfer. Flame on? No. Fantastic no. Four? No, 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 no. no Fantastic Fox. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox. Fox. Not Chris Evans. <laughs> not Ion Gruffitt, who I worked with on the TV set. Go watch it. It's one of my first movies that I ever did. Dropped. Name dropped. dropped. Boosh. Look at know that. Who that is, he okay. played Mr. Fantastic. Go ahead. Um, but no, the Fantastic Mr. Fox was his first stop motion movie uh, completely. And for some reason, I just fell in love with it. We had human characters, but they weren't human. They were all animals. Uh, they all had lives and jobs of humans essentially they all had functioning things that they did but they were still animals it just it had a great story it was a really stellar voice cast you know george clooney leading it um i think he had jason uh bateman a few others no not jason Bateman. who was it Uh, the batester i don't remember i don't but it just it was a really fun movie and it was it still is to this day one of my favorite adult animated movies because it doesn't rely too much on being for adults with its, you know, crudity or just overusage of adult themes, but it's not made for kids either. And it's in that perfect middle ground of just an all-around enjoyable animated movie. And for that, it's my favorite. Um, But now, 
let's segue into uh, the namesake of the show. Uh, is we'll get into the miss. Yeah. Darn. Rectum, rectum, rectum. I don't think rectum is a good one to yeah. be. Yeah, it sounds like rectum. Rectum? We might have to clip that. Though. Erection. <laughs> Misdirection. Misdirection. Um, I think we'll go with you, Roman, as you sip your water. Mm-hmm. How about you first? Uh, in your eyes, why and is or isn't this movie misdirected? Um, I'll say, like I said before. I really loved all the performances and can't say anything bad about the performances. So therefore you have to commend. And I'll say that I like that he as a director was either a able to get those performances out of the actors or step out of their way and allow them to create those performances. Either way, he did good in that regard. And I, you know, if you want to call him an actor's director, I think you could. And that's, that's a good thing to be the movie. I don't think it was misdirected because I think he did he directed the movie exactly as he wanted to. When when you are someone like Wes Anderson who is such a unique style and has autonomy over his artistic vision and you're able to have that creative license in a commercial space, I respect that. And I may not love what he did. It may not aesthetically appeal to me. I may not be uh, running out to watch the movie again, which is my main critique of Wes Anderson is the rewatchability. Like I go years between watching them and I really don't care. But in terms of misdirecting it or directing it towards his intentions, I think he got exactly the movie he wanted and I respect him for that. Well said, uh, Skyler. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with Roman uh, pretty much exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> that was a pretty good, yeah. pretty good synthesis right there. No, bro. Uh-oh. It's almost like uh, for I've real. listened to this podcast before. <laughs> you, are you one of our listeners? On on Spotify, I am. Oh, I could hug you. I'm so happy. Yeah. But I feel for sure, like, yeah, uh, me personally, you know, I'm, I'm just might... a fan, by the way. I don't even know these guys. Yeah, we just <laughs> found them on the you? street and just like, hey, you like our podcast, right? Um, I feel, you know, even though this is probably my least favorite Wes Anderson film and I have my issues with it. Yeah, it's undeniable that he made the film he was going to make. And he said that even in in interviews where he's like, we made the film we wanted to make here. And, you know, I can have all my problems with, you know, his use of, you know, making the writing and the cinematography and and the sets very distancing to the audience while the story should have been – because the story should have been more engaging, he should have made it more engaging – that's more of my personal preference, and it's clear that you know that's what he was going for, and he succeeded in that way. And because it doesn't, you know, hit me the right way, doesn't mean it's it's invalid, and it doesn't hit other people the right way. And unlike you know some other films like Dune, where it's clear that they weren't getting what they wanted right. and they had screwed up on things, what is on what is in Life Quad is exactly what was probably on the page and what was in his head, and so. I would say it's not misdirected, but in my eyes of Wes Anderson's whole filmography, it is not it is not the Wes Anderson that I, I come to love. It's not his best work that I feel really defines who he is as a filmmaker because it's missing key elements like the really, really fleshed out and emotionally charged characters that are given the time to be those characters. You think there's too many characters? In this one? I feel there might have been a few too many because, I mean, like with – or at least there wouldn't have been if we spent more time with them, if we got to know them. But sure, some of them yeah. are just kind like, of They all got away. introduced at the beginning, like the some of the other guys, the Indian guy filming. And, and then they're not used. They Vikram anywhere. is the Indian guy's yeah. name. Vikram. Yeah. So Dakota. I was just describing him. I didn't mean to go racial. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the guy holding the camera. Watch <laughs> yourself, please. We're a family podcast. We fuck aren't. You. We say fuck I love Indian all the people. I love time. Indian food. I love Indian so, food. So, Dakota, I'll ask you, was The Life Aquatic misdirected? I mean, you guys are, like, <clears throat> taking all the words out of my brain before I can say them. I, <laughs> I'm i in the same camp as you guys. You know, I feel... Wow. Glad we all agree. Wow. Uh, this is a room full of Owen Wilson's oh, now. Oh, you know, wow. is Owen Wilson here? <laughs> hey, guys. Can you come uh, to the podcast? I heard you were talking about Ka-chow. West. Ka-chow. Ka-chow. I just wanted wow. to join. That's a million dollars, Disney. Send me the check in the mail. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think... There's there's definitely overambition, but at the end of the day, this is the movie Wes Anderson wanted to make. He used the actors he wanted to. He it may have not resonated with audiences the way that it did, 
or should have, and it definitely, you know, there's a lot of things lacking. He spends too much time on a shootout when he could be dealing with the emotionality of losing a son. You know, there are issues with too many characters not having their due, but there are good, there is good relationships in this movie. Overall, it looks good. I didn't find too many things where I, I really didn't find much where I was like, this looks wrong. There's not, not much. There's not much. Yeah. It's like, okay, it might be a weird shot, but it's not bad. So yeah, it isn't misdirected. It's not his strongest, as you said. I don't think it's his worst. If for some reason he stops making movies, maybe then we can have that conversation. But at the end of the day, he made Life Aquatic with Caesar Zoo the way he wanted to. And, uh... Yeah, as Roman said, I respect him for that, and uh, wow. I don't think it was misdirected. Wow, look at wow. that. We're all in agreement. Yeah. Wow. They they also never really acknowledged how Kate Blanchett stay, decided to stay because she loved Ned, and then he died two seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't, never, they didn't really reconcile. She must have like, sold that. her story and gotten money. I don't know. Big boof. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. yeah. Speaking well, that- of Owen Wilson, though, give me... Like if you had to choose between like Shanghai Nights and this, Ooh. give me Shanghai Nights like a hundred times. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'm sorry. No, what about uh, Escape Plan? Yes, the one where he's got to save his family from uh, like the terrorists. Wedding or Crashers or Wedding Crashers. What That's about Owen? Wes Anderson's holding you back. I know Ker- he's your buddy. Chow. <laughs> Ker- <Chow. laughs> um Okay. Yeah, that's that's the show. Wow. There uh, we go. Wow. <laughs> uh, Goodbye. Well, not yet. We have to. Oh. Uh, of plug. course, plug socials. Roman, where can we follow you? At Romillionaire1 on Instagram. R-O-Millionaire1. Like Chameleonaire, but Romillionaire. Thanks for explaining yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Was he your inspiration for that uh, username? Yes. Ah, lovely. Uh, Skyler, where can we follow you? Do you have anything you want to plug right now? Um, I'm private on everything. Don't follow me. You don't have anything you want to plug? Nope. You f- you're the worst. I hate you. Nothing. I won't do it for you because fuck nothing. you. I have nothing. Ugh, you're terrible. Uh, fo- subscribe, rate, review. Yeah. Subscribe, rate, review. Subscribe, rate, review. So- <laughs> no, one yeah. joined, no one joined in no, my chain. No one no. joined. Follow me on uh, Instagram at DakotaSky96. Uh, follow me on Facebook, DakotaSky. Follow us on Facebook at Misdirected Podcast. And on Instagram. And on Instagram at Misdirected Podcast. And on Twitter at Misdirected Podcast. Um, Tune in next week for another great episode. Not next week. Episode eight. Next week is the Oscars. Oh, that is right. We are taking a break next week. We uh, might possibly do a we may Oscars possibly. recap. You know what? I want to say it because I'm pushing you to do it. We are going to do an Oscars recap because I feel like it's going to be such a shit show. Even if it's 10 minutes, <laughs> I just want to talk about it. Are you guys interested it. in like getting some live, maybe some audio recorded from when i'm at the oscars working as a caterer yes if yeah you can get that take some pictures can we get I'll, I'll just record i'll just like you know report as i'm going yes along. you like, be you be our man on the streets andrew garfield weighs yeah. 94 pounds <laughs> he flew away with the wind um, that'd be good yeah that so would be excellent oscars uh recap oscars look for that. if i'm still employed by the catering company i don't know yeah <laughs> you never know My california food industry. handlers cards expired oh, oh no that's that's not good. are we wrapping up yeah subscribe rate review Subscribe, rate, review. No. Subscribe, rate, review. One of us. One of us. Bye.